This is Super Yacht Radio. Welcome to Supiart Radio. I have the pleasure of being joined today by Joseph Adir, who is the director and CEO of both Wintech Marine and Winter Haven Holdings. Um, joining us today with some exciting news. But before we get into the exciting news, um, I wanted to kind of bring up what you've been doing, Joseph, because I got to catch up with you last year, actually early in last year, when you were having all sorts of major developments happening. And uh, can you can you fill us in a little bit on on what in particular Wintech Marine is all about? Uh, thank you for having me. Uh, maybe it's important to know where I'm coming from. Uh, my DNA is from the high tech industry. I was for 20 years in data communication platform and chip design uh, over in Israel. And, uh, and my very first 20 years as a serial entrepreneur, uh, I did it in, in the very cutting edge of the high-tech industry of those years. I made the decision when I was 40 years old that I want to leave this industry because I felt that I'm surrounded by guys that are dramatically smarter than I am. Uh, the next generation that came on board. And, and then I moved over to the UK. And I think that the, the, the move over to the UK uh, opened my eyes that there are very many other opportunities out there that are associated with technology, but there are in other domains that can be disrupted with technology. Uh, I was trying to bring technology into a... The, the real estate industry with certain attempts. We were doing technology into the delivery of the DVBT. I was among the very first manufacturers of the DVBT set of boxes in the United Kingdom, if you still remember them. Uh, I was involved in many areas trying to, to bring innovative technologies, and we even tried to do the box before the Netflix days to do a streaming box. Uh, that, that will go was supposed to go public on the Irish stock exchange just before the 2008 crash. So I, I've been in very many different ventures that were combining technology and disruption. Uh, my background is I'm, I'm a sailor, I'm a racer, I'm a captain. Uh, I love the sea, and I always want to go. Uh, uh, back in, into the into the yachting industry. Uh, back in Israel, I used to be a co-shareholder in, in a marine company, and I, I wanted to go back into the business. and And I was trying to to look into the yachting industry and to look for opportunities for disruption. Uh, where where can I make a difference? And and I started to come with multiple ideas. Uh, some of them are still, uh, I would say, as just blueprints. But WinTech, I think, is, is truly the most innovative, the most challenging, 
And, and this is really my baby that I feel that can become something really big because what we were looking is uh, we found the fact that the marine industry at large is the only industry that is not using predictive maintenance. All industries in the world, whether it's aviation, whether it's automotive, whether it's locomotives, anything and everything in the transport, uh, today all the maintenance is, is based on predictive maintenance. And the whole marine industry is 100% based on scheduled maintenance or it's broken. And I was trying to figure out why. So some people told me because, you know, we're the most ancient industry on the planet. We started 13,000 years ago. And as we are 13,000 years in business, don't ask us to change so quickly. <laughs> we have another 10,000 to go. So I said, okay, maybe this is a good reason, but it doesn't mean that I won't give it a try. And, and I, I put together a team uh, to start to develop a platform that will be a generic platform for the marine environment to be able to do predictive maintenance on all the technical components of a ship, a yacht, a super yacht, whatever it is. And, uh, and obviously, we decided that we will focus in, in the higher end, in the super yachts, because we thought it will be dramatically easier. These are very wealthy clients. It's very big projects. The projects got a lot of money and it will be the easiest to convince these wealthy individuals that the best thing to have is predictive maintenance versus preventing. The reason they're wealthy, Joseph, is because they don't like spending the money. <laughs> I, I fully agree with you. <laughs> but what we realize is that actually all the stakeholders associated with these big projects are very afraid from every change or any disruption that can affect the process of delivering this super ultra high-end super yacht to the owner. Can I ask, uh, Joseph, just um, on a parallel, because, you know, super yachts also go with private planes, also go with private helicopters. When you were looking at the industry, did the super yacht industry seem a little bit behind the times in the technological advancements in comparison to other, you know, high tech um, luxury travel platforms? I, I think it's a fact where the only industry that did not transform from industry 3.0 to industry 4.0 when the rest of the world is already there. The, the world is moving from 4.0 to 4.5. And, and, and the whole digitization of our industry, the whole movement to design by digital twins, the whole move forward just skipped our industry. And... and the meaning of it is that you're producing a product that truly your knowledge about what you're delivering is very limited and very restricted. Uh, in the aviation industry, in, 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 in the high-speed locomotives, in the car industry, today when you go with your car, for example, 
in, in anywhere in the world. And, and the car ECU is being connected to, to the station in the garage. This station is connected through the cloud to a predictive maintenance provider. So that they have on the cloud predictive maintenance platforms that look at all the data coming from your ECU and in the printout that you get from the garage, they're telling you that in uh, 8,000 kilometers, you'll have to replace your, your brakes. It's not coming because the technician in the garage looked at them and tried to smell them and to say, okay, 8,000 kilometers. It's coming from the predictive maintenance. So cars today, manufacturing giving five years warranty on cars. Have you seen a yacht with five years warranty? <laughs> Uh, the, some of the, I mean, there was one French shipyard in, in Beneteau that they did this five-year warranty program, but it's a very, very limited warranty. But why the car can be with five or seven-year warranty and, and a boat that costs a hundred times or a thousand times the price of a car cannot be? So this is, this is the key. There is no technology. And what I wanted is really to develop the enablement, the first building block in the enablement technology that will deliver the data that is needed to be able to move into predictive maintenance, to move in, into digital twins, to move into the next generation of yacht construction. Could I ask, Joseph, because there will be some people listening who may be familiar with the term planned maintenance, uh, but won't be uh, familiar with the term predictive maintenance. Um, can you give me a comparison between them? What's the difference between how we do it now under planned maintenance and your vision for the future, which would be uh, a predictive maintained, predictively maintained boat? Today, the, you're either reactive maintenance, i.e. it's broken, you maintain it, or schedule maintenance, that you have the manufacturer schedule maintenance, that you have to take certain tasks at certain dates to be performed according to the OEM instructions. It has very little relevancy to the true condition on site of the device. It takes nothing into consideration the, the, all the surrounding effects where this device was functioning it knows nothing. The only thing that it knows that the generator OEM told the customer that every 30 days you have to do X, every 90 days you have to do Y, and every six months you have to do Z. And this is it. It's the most wasteful way of operating. This is why the, the aviation industry left schedule maintenance 25 years ago. Wow. 25 years ago, they switched into predictive. Because if you were working only by schedule maintenance, the waste of parts that you needed in order to prevent planes falling off the sky was enormous. So to make aviation commercially viable, you must work only by predictive. But what I'm saying, predictive is not only to prevent the plane falling from the sky. What gives you a predictive is the ability to guarantee the longevity of your asset. You have more uptime. You optimize the utilization 
of the device on board. You take care of it really, if needed, when needed, and you prevent failures for, from happening. So if there is a development, I'll give you a, a little example. A water pump, it's something that everybody can understand what it is without being too complicated on the radio. A water pump, you can identify a very specific ultrasound signature with an ultrasound sensor that through the machine learning, I can understand the signal, this ultrasound, and I can tell you that in two months' time, your pump will break. So what is your URL, the, the, the remaining usable time on the, on, on the pump, you'll have it on the screen. So you know, I have a pump that's starting to get sick, that there is a pretty much high likelihood that within two months, I need to replace it. So I need to schedule that I'll have either the parts or replacement part pump to be with me within four to six weeks. So you are ready for the failure that is going to happen and you're, you are not waiting for the failure to happen as it is today. Are we talking about, because years ago when AI started to be uh, become household uh, terminology and we were talking about the internet of things, uh, we, we were talking about cars that would automatically send a message to your mechanic that this carburetor is going to go in, in three weeks, please order it and book me in for uh, um, some surgery. Or, or fridges that would realize you're low on milk, we should add that to the shopping cart. Is that the kind of thing we're talking about for the engine room that we would put sensors in there that would, you know, in, in this case, ultrasound to check your, your water pump? Or, um, you know, there's a lot of filters within pipes that corrode and that cause tremendous damage. Um, and again, it's rule of thumb of, you know, we check it every six weeks, but, you know, it could go beforehand. It could go in eight weeks. We just don't know. We, we have to take it apart. So are we talking about that, tech, that type of technology going into a ship where sensors, listening, or ultrasonic, or whatever, are, are constantly checking, like you would on a network, to tell you your printer is about to run out of uh, ink. You should order some. Thank you, HP. Um, is that the kind of thing we're going to be looking at at Yachts? Is that what you're advocating? Absolutely, because uh, everything is based, the whole system architecture from our point is based on, on IoT and IIoTs as, as we push the, the ML, the machine learning, as, as much as possible down to the edge, uh, connecting hundreds and thousands of sensors into the device. And, and, and the strength is really the ability to take all these thousands of data points and correlate them to something that will be meaningful for the chief engineer, for the captain. I, they don't need to be an AI uh, data scientist or machine learning data scientist. They will get the outputs that will be already fully digested for them and presented to them in a way that they know which action needs to be taken now. I'll give you an example. Uh, you see, for example, the sensor detecting that my stabilizer 
is vibrating. Now, to tell the captain that the stabilizer is vibrating, this is very interesting, but can you find the cause for the vibration? The machine learning through all the data that is accumulated can tell the captain, for example, that the reason that the uh, stabilizer is vibrating is because there was a log in the water that the, sh that the yacht hit the log and the log was running along the hull and hit the stabilizer. And actually you have at the moment a broken stabilizer and you need to go and to dry dock the boat and take care of it. So you need to know when the problem is derived from the hydraulic actuator or from the electric motors that are associated with it, or this is something completely external. All the externality, for example, one of the areas, so we're talking about the, the technical deck of the yacht, but in a yacht, the externality analysis is extremely important because if, if, for example, you have a situation that suddenly you have certain sea conditions that are changing the behavior of certain mechanical devices on board, you need to know, you need the knowledge that this is not derived by a fall, it's derived by sea conditions. Mm -hmm. Or if you hit plastic island and all your seacocks getting clogged and all, all your equipment on board starting to overheat, you know they're not overheating because the engines are defective. They are overheating because their cooling intake got clogged with plastic. So all these items that are external also being plugged into the machine learning and, and are helping to give a very holistic view to the captain, to the chief engineer. Could I ask, what's your, what's your point of acceptance and pushback? By that, I mean, if, if I'm Caterpillar or MTU and I'm, I'm providing engines for a boat, uh, why aren't I putting this technology into my engines as part of my pro product offering? Well, you know, surely from a, a company perspective, it would be great to, to have that knowledge coming from the boat so I can preempt any problems with the engine. Is it that the manufacturers are hesitating on adoption or is it the owners who are, you know, I don't want any more technology on my boat, I'm happy the way it is. Or has nobody really just pushed the concept? <laughs> I mean, the, the concept has been talked about for years. I remember going back years, people talking about, oh, and again, it was in the future, we will be able to tell if there's a, a nut and bolt loose because of a vibration sound that would be picked up by, you know, the, there's been conversations, there's been people talking about it. Nobody's actually done anything about it, um, which is the next big step. But, you know, wh where do you find the main points of acceptance and, and pushback in the industry? Let me, let me divide it into three different components. One, obviously the OEMs are not happy to open their ECUs because I'm, I'm not connecting anywhere to their equipment. I'm connecting to their ECU and, and translating the data from their ECU as reference points, as additional data points into my metrics. 
So the OEMs, obviously, you know, it depends. I, I, I was talking uh, to, to one of the big stabilizer provider, and they are super delighted to cooperate and, 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 and to work together. And no doubt we will be very successful with them. At the same time, you have big engine manufacturers that wants to keep it as close as possible and they don't want to open anything. I mean, this is the very old world that companies were trying to be isolated and to keep anything and everything from themselves. In, in the new world, it's not going to work now. The second component are the shipyards. At the end of the day, a yacht, a super yacht, is a platform that is being produced and integrated by a shipyard. It's not being produced by the engine manufacturer. So if the shipyard is demanding as a precondition for the engine manufacturer to be as part of this platform called Yacht X, then this, this will be the terms of procurement from the, from, the, from the engine provider, and they won't have a choice now. The problem is that the, 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 the ability of the shipyards to integrate advanced technologies is limited at the moment. The shipyards do not have enough uh, technology competency and leadership to be able to move forward to Industry 4.0. They miss it on, on, on the design side with the digital twins, they miss it on, on the monitoring side, they miss it on the AIML, and, 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 and they miss it on the fact that they can transform their business dramatically if they will sell the yacht with a five years warranty, all inclusive, uh, that the total cost of ownership to the owner will not be an unknown, and everybody will think that the yacht is a black hole that it will be something very well quantified, I think that it will change completely the level of penetration among the high net worth individuals globally that will be willing to buy a yacht. At the moment, we have less than 2% penetration in the luxury market. And, and the reason we're not climbing higher is that people are still reluctant. Now, the third component, obviously, are the owners. Uh, the, unless it's a technology-driven owner, uh, the likelihood that the owner will drive this change is extremely low. Uh, from his perspective, it's the problem of his captain and his chief engineer, and he don't want to hear about it. And their job is to make sure that, this, that his super yacht is in perfect condition, and I don't care. It's your job. So the, the, the willingness of the owners to step forward is limited. I think that, at least from my perspective, the way that we're putting our efforts, our product is an OEM product. OEM, by default, means that I have to sell it into the shipyard. The shipyard must embed it into their production line as a standard that there won't be a boat coming out of this yard that will not have it integrated. It's part of their support. It's part of their warranty. It's part of their maintenance. It's part of everything that they do. And, and this is the future. 
I, I would think, you know, from the shipyard's perspective, you know, there's, there's sort of a double win here because not only are they guaranteeing the good running of a super yacht, you know, for a period, but they're, the big buzz over the past five years has been sustainability. And it would strike me if you have a super yacht that you can tell in advance the, the challenges, it would decrease not only the economic bill of running a super yacht, but also on a sustainable side, it would keep it running better, which, you know, will end up you use less fuel or oil or pollution or, you know, I presume long term, there could be sensors for, you know, your your um, pollution levels and, and stuff like that. I would see long term as an investment, this would be a good one. Yeah, it's by, by all means, the moment that you improve the whole uh, operational maintenance program of the yacht, you reduce your carbon footprint. Uh, it, it's a fact because you are wasting less energy to do things that are driven by the fact that you have to do unpredicted maintenance. And, and this is where there is a lot of cost and expense and, 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 and suddenly you need to change course completely or run to a shipyard because you need to dry dock urgently and all kinds of things that that are being done in emergency that creates a huge carbon footprint. So uh, I think that this is something that will change as well. Out of curiosity, is this something as well? I mean, there is already a fleet of super yachts around the world and many of them have lasted, you know, generations. Is this something in the future that could be retrofitted in a refit? Or is this really, we've got to look first from new build up and, and take it up that way. Is it possible to retrofit? It, by all means, it's possible to retrofit, but always you will not be able to go and create a retrofit that will be as detailed and extensive and accurate as you can build it when you design in into a new build. Uh, we will, from our perspective, we are offering it with non-restricted spectrum from a commercial ships all the way down to ultra-high-end super yachts. Because at the end of the day, an engine is an engine and a pump is a pump and a generator is a generator and a stabilizer is a stabilizer. And, and you know, there is, we, we want to develop as broad library as possible of profiling of devices. But if you want to perfect the system, it needs to be designed as part of the OEM design. Obviously, you can, you can get great efficiencies out of a retrofit, but it will never be to the same level. So this has been an exciting week for you, and I'm delighted to be the, the first ones talking with you, but it has been a big week in the next position of, of presumably where you can go with this. Yeah, it's been uh, something that we've been working on for the last uh, seven, eight months, uh, together with a great team of individuals from our industry. I really have a panel of amazing 
people with me, starting from the chairman, Michael Payne, to anyone and everyone else, my CFO, Sheldon Gartner, and, and, and the rest of the team that came from the yachting industry and from the financial industry. Uh, we created a team uh, that we wanted to do the first spec ever going into the leisure marine industry. Uh, we had to convince Wall Street that we're not completely mad. Uh, and uh, and uh, it was, I would say, a, a very tough uphill battle because at the beginning, I got so many doors slammed in my face. Uh, people told me to get lost and to forget about it. But I, I didn't want to give up. And at the end, we found a banker that was willing to listen. And once they started to listen, uh, we were able to convince them that there are merits. The biggest challenge was that when we started the process, the spec market in the US was uh, driven by specs in sizes between a quarter billion to multi-billion dollar per spec, mostly driven by big financial sponsors. Uh, and people didn't want to do small specs like $100 million. I, I was trying to explain to them, and the rule is that your target must be a minimum four times the value of the cash in the bank. So if you have $100 million in the bank, it means that you need a target, a pre-money valuation of $400 million. I said, guys, if I raise quarter of a billion, I need a target, which is $1 billion pre-money valuation. And in our industry, I might end up with two, maybe, if I'm lucky, with two, three, four theoretical targets, practically maybe, maybe with one, and it ain't going to work. So people couldn't understand it. I mean, how it can be, ah, these yachts are so expensive, you know, fancy industry. And I said, guys, it's a very fragmented industry. So at the end, everybody agreed that this is the benchmark. And, and, and to our luck, when we were going through the process, all the legislation of the SEC, the Security and Exchange Commission in the US regarding SPACs, six weeks ago completely changed and and it was like you know you're playing monopoly and suddenly you pull up you pull out the card go back to the beginning <laughs> oh no <laughs> don't do it so we had a few sleepless nights that uh, you know with all our lawyers accountants auditors uh, consultants, everybody, we, we didn't know whether the whole thing literally blows up or we can do something. And, and luckily for me, that I had an amazing team around me of people that were willing to pick up the challenge, to pick up the glove and say, instead of getting kind of discouraged, say, look, let's roll up our sleeves. Let's dive deep into what the SEC wants us to do and let's get it done. And uh, we are really, we are among the very first ones that came out under the new guidelines and legislation. And we were successful uh, last week. It was, we closed it. It was Thursday uh, night at 2 a.m. in the morning, my time. Uh, and we raised $103 million, uh, which is 
substantial amount of money, at least for, for our industry, it is a very substantial amount of money. And uh, now we're starting to look for targets. As I define it, I'm looking for, for the most appropriate bride to bring to the altar to get married with our spec. It's, it's the, the considerations, it's a very complex because it's not only about a sexy brand or a good-looking yacht. Uh, you need to bring a company that you know that the company and the management team of the company will be able to deliver quarter-on-quarter quarter growth in revenue and EBITDA. It's not to move from being a private shipyard to become a publicly listed shipyard in the U.S. market. You have many, many benefits that you can afford many things. At the same time, you need to deliver every quarter on your results with revenue and EBITDA that shows trajectory of growth. If you don't, a hammer will come down on your head. So it's... it's it's not easy to find the right target. Okay, everybody's, I'm getting approaches in the last 48 hours. I'm getting approaches literally from all over the world. People from, from all the way away from Asia, all over to the United States, and anyone and everyone in the middle of Europe with all kinds of crazy ideas. It's lovely. Does does geography make a difference? I mean, there's some big build, boat builders, as we know, in, in the States, Netherlands and Germany here would be, and Italy, of course, would be sort of the major centers. Of course, there's, you know, some big boats now being built down in Australia. But where you begin, does does geography make a difference? Or is it just finding the right ethos of shipyard or how do you pick <laughs> where you start <laughs> first of all i need a shipyard that are at pre-money valuation uh, officially the prospectus is 250 million and above but practically three four hundred million dollar pre-money valuation so by default 90 percent of them are being eliminated Okay. Uh, not that helps the choice. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so so uh, it's, it's by elimination. Second, uh, obviously, you need to think where the management team is and where we are in better proximity to go and, and run proper diligence on the target. And as we are all based around Europe, uh, makes more sense as the initial set of targets to look around Europe, truly all over Europe, because we just have better access to the potential targets. So obviously Europe will be the first priority, but at the same time, and you said, there are interesting players in Asia, uh, you mentioned Australia, that are in, that by all means, in the USA already, many boating companies are publicly listed and, and doing extremely well. You look at Brunswick, you look at market cap close to $8 billion. You look at uh, One Marine, you look at Marine Max. I mean, all these companies are doing ex 
extremely well on the on the Nasdaq New York Stock Exchange. Uh, but I think that for us coming into the boating industry in America, uh, it will be much more difficult because the American market is already very well positioned into the public markets in America due to the success of their peers. When you look in Europe at, at the yachting industry, you have two public shipyards. You have San Lorenzo on the Milan Soccer Chain, and you have Benetton in Paris. Who else? This is it. So uh, it, it's, it's a very different reality. Uh, and the, Europe is lacking the liquidity that you have in America. The markets in America are flushed with trillions of dollars. We don't have it in Europe. You don't have it. They want to do stacks in Amsterdam with the Euronext. And I think it's very viable. But what the liquidity is going to be? They want to do it in London. It's the same like they tried to do the AIM, and the AIM really never picked up. It's the, the liquidity. The success of the SPACs in America is driven by the fact that in America there, are, there is serious liquidity in the market. So investors love to invest over there. Just to go back to uh, your target boat, correct me if I'm, if, if I'm a little bit out here, but my understanding is that you would have generators, water pumps, uh, engines, st stability, uh, zero-speed st stabilizers, whatever, all with um, sensors integrated into them. Correct. Then these would presumably all connect into a central uh, application or maintenance uh, program that would monitor th these sensors and then flag um, different machines or, or, or uh, different things when a problem is is seen so um you know possibly a, a amber or red flag for your water pump that seems to have calcified or something's going to go wrong in three months etc is my understanding correct on that and and if so how far are you along with that a central platform that can take feeds from all these disparate uh, technologies on board because you'll have MTU making an engine, you'll have another company making a generator, you'll have another company with your water pumps. How do you tie all that into a central maintenance program that the engineer or captain can monitor and then take an action? It's not a maintenance program. The, the, what the system does, the system is, if you think about it, it's a huge data logging platform it actually takes data streams of bits and bytes from vibration sensor, temperature sensor, thermal cameras. I'll, I'll give you an example. We have the algorithm that I can analyze from a thermal camera and I can tell you exactly hours of operation to breakage of the mechanical device I'm looking at. So based on its temperature, based on the temper on the thermal image signature variation and evolution 
we have the algorithm that knows when the evolution of the thermal signature is leading to breakage, and from step to step, what should be the time delta between each phase in the evolution. So all this data is coming into the cloud. In the cloud, we have all the, the machine learning algorithms, and, and we have both supervised and unsupervised learning. Unsupervised learning, you can chew huge amounts of data. And when, when you have certain certainty that your data is well-structured and cleaned, and you need supervised when your data streams are not yet properly structured and cleaned, that you know that the data that's coming through is accurate. Because very often you get error data from all these sensors and not, it takes time until the machine knows to distinct what is an error and what is actually an evolution of an event. But the moment that the machine can do a, a self-learning, you accelerate the perfection of the algorithms extremely fast. And, and this is where we're heading to because we have algorithms. We have all the physical algorithms already developed. So we have all the algorithms and we are running and we're perfecting the algorithm with synthetic data. The biggest synthetic data database that we are working with is the NASA database that gives us the ability to run our, our, our algorithms versus data. But at the end of the day, we developed all the software, all the integration software. And this is, again, it's a massive software that what it does it takes all these tens or hundreds of IOTs, take all the flow of data, structure it, and move it over to the cloud to be processed. But in between, it has enough intelligence to give a, from all the edge machine learning, it has enough intelligence to tell on the spot live knowledge to the chief engineer and the captain if there are any immediate conclusions that maybe they should be attended right now. The system is not waiting for the processing on the cloud. You can get it live on board. So what we did is we, we created in the architecture, you, you can create a, a replica on on-prem cloud because Otherwise, you're dependent 100% of very high bandwidth streams with a satellite. And you don't want to increase the satellite bill of the owner of the yacht. Mm. So you're relying more on the on-prem to be able to process as much as possible. And when you have availability of big bandwidth, you download the learning algorithm, the learned, sorry, the learned algorithms down to the edge so next time their knowledge is already enhanced comparing to where they were seven days ago. So all the time you keep, keep updating the edge to the point that the, that the platform will be as sovereign as possible with as less dependence on the cloud. Okay. Uh, currently, uh one of the most generic 
data transfer protocols on a yacht is uh, is a protocol called NAMIA. Well, well, are you familiar with NAMIA? Yeah, of course. Um, yeah, there are two. There's the NAMIA and there's the Modbus. Maltas, yeah. Uh, would you be using uh, one of those protocols to to communicate we, this data, or today, today we develop the system that we interface to twelve different protocols. Okay. Of communication, actually, we're covering. It's not hundred percent, but it's uh, I would say ninety-two to ninety-five percent of protocols available in any industrial environment. Because at the end of the day, our, our technical deck is an industrial environment. This is what it is. Uh, pumps, generators, engines, uh, uh, hydraulics, uh, water makers, it's, it's all industrial equipment. And, and industry today, it's a pity there is no unified protocol that, that takes the whole industry. And therefore, we needed to embed all the different protocols that are out there today. Otherwise, we won't be able to connect to the yeah. different ECUs of, or the different controllers or PLCs coming on different devices. Can I also ask just kind of a, but it presumably then once this is rolling, this is something that could be sized up to you know, carrier ships or cruise ships, yeah, yeah. and size down to smaller yachts, and we, I mean, we, we, we're now trying to find the solution that you'll be able to put on on a forty footer boat, a kind of a super scale down because of the crazy volume at the moment boats are being produced and and, and the big prosperity in, in the in the boating market. We we came to conclusion that. You know, a big super yachts, it's all lovely. But if, if we want to have a lot of data, because at the end of the day, our biggest asset will be the database. Data. Because the more we will be able to develop and perfect algorithms, uh, and that's when you look at, at the leader in the world, in, this industry, in the industry of, of machine learning and AI, C3 AI in the US, they became over a $10 billion company because they were able to, to develop such huge databases on vertical industries. They're not in our industry. They are in, for example, in the oil and gas industry. They are by far number one uh, in, in, in pharmaceutical industry, in, in other industries. So you, you have to specialize in your industry and you have to build your database. Once you have it, I want to have data from boats, from sailing yachts, from small boats, from small yachts, from super yachts, from sport yachts, from everything. The more data I'll have, the better I'll be. From cruise ships, from pocket cruise ships, from co container carriers, anything and everything that I can connect to, the more data I'm going to have. So if it flips in my bathtub, I, I can expect to see your logo there, yeah? <laughs> <laughs> you didn't say no. <laughs> eh, you know, depends what you want this clothes in your bathtub to do. That's a separate show. That's a more adult theme. <laughs> you said it. I, I was. <laughs> no, it was not an adult comment. Uh, but jo Josephino, it's 
it's a, I mean, I've, I've been in super yachts for 15 years. Um, I came from corporate IT and accidentally fell into a, a super yacht. And, and what you're talking of, it's what, what I, what I love about it. It's not mind blowing. It's, it's when you talk about it, it's like, really, why, why isn't this happening already? You're talking about technology that exists. So you're not going out there to a coal face and reinventing a chip or a system or whatever. This is today's tech. This is actually some of yesterday's, not last week's, but you know, this is technology that's been around for a few years now that's evolving. Uh, but it's there at your fingertips. It just has to be utilized. So, you know, you, I hear what what you're talking about, and my only shock is why hasn't this been done already? It certainly has and to be me, in the future. Let me give you one of the answers. I was asking myself the same question a million times. I think one of the main reasons that the cost of hardware to build the solution I'm talking about three years ago would have been somewhere around one and a half to two percent add-on to the cost of the yacht. Okay. Now today we're looking at somewhere between quarter percent to half a percent. Okay, so that's come way down. But but you you ask you ask any captain dramatically now. You ask any captain or guest what uh, or captain what is the cost of a stabilizer that's got vibrations and that is is making noise and that can be the end of a charter that could be a career defining moment for a captain. you know so it's there's a much bigger cost that goes beyond money and and these are these are for many owners these are personal items these are where they go to to spend time with their family they've got two weeks out of the year and when they get there the captain's job for 50 weeks a year is to make sure for those two weeks everything works perfectly. And if a jenny goes down, or there's a stabilizer, or there's some mechanical fault that they hadn't addressed, it just happens to happen when the owner's stepping on, on the passenger rail, which it happens. Um, th- that could be the end of the captain's job. Yeah. So th- this this kind of preventative or preemptive uh, maintenance, uh, as a captain, I would be hungry for. As an owner, I would want this on there to make sure that you know we're not going to have any surprises here. Um, and as a company, as an MTU or a Caterpillar or one of these companies, I, you know, I don't want people talking about the yacht where the Caterpillar Jennies failed and it went dead boat and it was a disaster. I don't want my name attached to that. So I would hope that people adopt this technology and, and do it uh, quicker, sooner than later, because it's it's the way it has to, it has to go this way. We can't be in, as you say, the medieval times uh, compared to all. Uh, uh, you know, it's not the it's the second oldest uh, uh, business, I think. <laughs> so <laughs> you, I, again, that's okay. Show. <laughs> uh, I'll take the comment. <laughs> I've, I've done my research. <laughs> Um, and, and I think it's brilliant. I uh, look forward to seeing your project as it grows, and uh, and finding out you know who that first adopter would be. I think that would that would be interesting to cover that story okay. and to see the evolution of it. Because uh, yeah, I mean it's it's there's so much saving that can happen financially, 
uh, cruise-wise, and also, you know, the, the health of your equipment. If you can fix it before it becomes a problem, then... Longevity. There is a, it affects dramatically, this is what they say in deviation, that it changed dramatically the residual value of the asset. Of course. The biggest change from scheduled to predictive was, from, from a financial point of view, is residual value. Because at the end of the day, if you can amortize the asset over many more years, because you know that due to your predictive maintenance, your asset will last longer, yeah. it's a win-win. And you may even squeeze a five-year warranty out of that. <laughs> Absolutely. Joseph, well, it's been an absolute honor and pleasure to speak with you. I'm, I'm very excited about this project. And many um, congratulations, because this has been many years in the developing, um, the making, you know, to go from concept to where you are now has taken a tremendous amount of hard work. So it's like actually. an Irish bus. People keep talking about when it's going to arrive. Yeah, but, well, but Still, but it doesn't. <laughs> we still have a long way to go, and I still need many people's ears to be open. And maybe you can help us. I've got a few names in my head already. <laughs> um, well, let's keep in touch and uh, we'll keep in touch. tell us uh, what, what goes on with uh, with your project. I, I think it's yeah. I've I've expressed myself. I think it's fantastic and uh, and well done. And even for a girl who's not particularly techie, I have to say, I thought this was very exciting. Even from when I talked to you last year about it, you know, I remember explaining it to Dave in my very basic layman terms, but I'm like, how cool would that be? Yeah, you could put a sensor so, on the dishwasher. Sorry, no went empty. <laughs> yeah, more than sensors. <laughs> but, so, Joseph, many congratulations. Um, Thank you for having me. Great Absolute news pleasure. to get to this next stage. Yes, muzzle top with your new news. The term Thank bank you. check is uh, really jumps out of the article. <laughs> yeah, that's, you know, now we have to go shopping. Yeah, but nice to go sh shopping, at least with money in your pocket, huh? <laughs> Always much nicer. <laughs> yes, indeed. <laughs> Wonderful. Well, thank you so much thank for joining you very us today. Much. We have been talking with Joseph Adir, who is the CEO of Wintech Marine. Um, yeah, watch this space. Watch this space, indeed. Take care, stay well, stay safe wherever you are. Super Yacht Radio.